0: Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works.
1: Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryan over there. There's Jerry over here. We have all come together in the year 2020 to wear our silver jumpsuits, (laughs) as always. I know, right? And talk about a... uh, uh, Buried, overlooked blemish in the history of the United States.
0: Are we not going to recount anything about this past year? No. Talk about this being the first recording of the new year? Nope. All right. (laughs) (laughs) We've had a break here. I said no. I'm going to push forward. Uh, We've been off for a couple of weeks, which was uh, pretty glorious to not have to Just overtax my brain, but it was also nice to get back in here Mm -hmm. into the stank of this room.
1: This room? I don't think this room stinks.
0: Well, right now it smells like your
1: caramel vanilla (laughs) frappelope. This is just black coffee. This just happens to be flavored black coffee. It's really, I mean, it smells great. It's, I think, a Green Mountain or something, caramel vanilla coffee pod.
0: Man, it is super fragrant.
1: Yeah. It's nice.
0: In a great way. It makes me. It smells like an ice cream sundae. It's pleasant. It is very pleasant.
1: But it's not doing the job. Like, I'm still, I'm a little tired, a little groggy.
0: You know, I had a four-shot latte earlier. Oh, yeah. And so I'm kind of...
1: Gotcha. Maybe that's what I need.
0: I'm zippy. You can go downstairs to... I know you don't like to pay for coffee, but... Yeah. Go downstairs to Spiller Park. Okay. Hugh Atchison's place.
1: A four-shot latte.
0: Yes. Okay. That, that has me going.
1: Well, I give it about a half hour before Chuck <laughs> crashes, everybody.
0: Yeah, seriously. Anyway, I'm glad to be back.
1: Well, I'm glad you're back, too. You know, I've where been I... here the whole time, waiting.
0: Uh... <laughs> this is where you spent Christmas and New Year's? Yes, both. In this room. And Thanksgiving. And uh, I guess Yumi and Momo slept they, over there in the corner. They come to visit
1: sometimes. <laughs> they say, please, please come on. Please stop working. I say, I can't.
0: They slide the food tray through the slot. um you know where i got this idea and i know you haven't watched it but the watchmen
1: i came across mention of that i was like why is everybody talking about the watchmen with the tulsa race riot
0: or more appropriately why is everyone all of a sudden talking about the tulsa massacre yeah yeah uh because the watchmen really put it on the map in a big way
1: yeah that's great
0: uh utilize it quite well in the storyline, mm-hmm. and uh, I have a recommendation for everyone, even though it is a marketing piece. Uh, there's a thing in the Atlantic called The Massacre of Black Wall Street, mm-hmm. w- paid for by HBO, mm-hmm. but it's a uh, it tells the story in comic book form.
1: In the Atlantic? Uh-huh. It's oh, very wow. cool. Very cool. And
0: I didn't notice it was a marketing piece until afterward, but
1: I'm like, eh, well, it's still good. Sure. As long as the content's good.
0: Yeah, it's cool and very well done.
1: So... Um, this is like, it's great that the Watchmen have brought attention to this. Yeah. Because it wasn't until about 2001, maybe the late 90s really, that people started talking about this. I know. And this, this event that we're going to talk about happened in 1921. Yeah. And almost the, the week after, basically the week after, everyone said, S- don't talk about this. Yeah. Just forget it ever happened, we're just moving forward, and we're going to bury the past. Literally, yeah, buried people, the evidence, all this stuff, it was buried. And people just acted like nothing happened in Tulsa, Oklahoma for like 80 years. And when you hear what we're about to talk about, it's astounding that the community, both black and white, agreed to just basically— pretend this never happened, at least publicly or civically.
0: Yeah, and um, it's hard to find some of the, some information still on some of the key events and definitely some of the key players.
1: Because yeah, a lot of them died of old age yeah, without just, ever
0: having been interviewed. Yeah, no follow-ups. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I mean, we'll get to it, but a couple of the most key players, is like this is kind of all we know.
1: Right. I looked them up too, and I was like, what do you mean you have no idea? Yeah. Like even who this this guy was let yeah. alone you know what became of him or what what do you mean like you just no one kept <laughs> no. track yeah. but that's how complete and total mm-hmm. this cover up was it was a cover up yeah so let's talk about it first let's talk about greenwood which i was not familiar with but greenwood was a an affluent i guess almost suburb adjacent to tulsa just north of tulsa and what was odd about the fact that it was affluent is that it was an all-black community in, you know, the turn of the last century, and yet it was one of the most affluent communities in the entire United States.
0: Yeah, I mean, now it's just part of Tulsa, like a neighborhood, but Mm -hmm. back then, just sort of like my neighborhood would have been a suburb of Atlanta Mm -hmm. in the 1920s, Mm -hmm. even though I'm, you know, five miles from downtown. Right, exactly. But uh, in 1921, it was like you said, super affluent. Uh, they had uh, a lot of. Uh, I think there were ten thousand black residents there. It's mm-hmm. called the Black Wall Street, like I mentioned. Yeah. And six hundred businesses. There were fifteen African American millionaires living in this district.
1: Yeah, fifteen
0: black millionaires in 1921 mm-hmm. in Tulsa, Oklahoma.
1: Yeah, and it and it wasn't. I mean, like the whole area was very well to do. There was like indoor plumbing the public schools there were, like, top-notch. Yeah. And in many cases, Greenwood had a lot to boast about that, like, the white areas in Tulsa, just over the railroad tracks, literally on the other side of the tracks, yeah. um, didn't have. Like, th- like this is far better off than some parts of white Tulsa.
0: Yeah, including uh, one of the top African-American surgeons, if not the top mm-hmm. in the country, endorsed by the – the Doctor Mayo himself,
1: the Mayo brothers.
0: Yeah, this guy was uh, Doctor A.C. Jackson, and he was one of the people murdered in this massacre.
1: Yeah, w- yeah. I was going to say there's a spoiler, but I guess we've already kind of mentioned there's a <laughs> massacre coming, right? Yeah. So, um, just to take a step back even further, so it's pretty impressive to think of like this is the Jim Crow era United States. Yes, this is. We're talking about, you know, the, the, this massacre took place in 1921. That's, you know, 50 years after the end of the Civil War. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in many ways, the Jim Crow era was just as bad as the antebellum slavery era. But so the idea to us today looking back at this time of, well, there's a black community um, in Oklahoma, that was one of the most affluent areas in the country mm-hmm. it 's kind of mind boggling but if you dig even deeper into how it was formed it, it almost de- you develop like a sense of pride in this that these 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 people came together yeah. under these conditions and not only like survived but like thrived yeah and created carved out a place for themselves where like being black was celebrated, and where you could be proud, and you took pride yeah. in your home, in in your children, in your children's education, in the the healthcare that they were getting, in the bus service, and the, the quality of the theater that you went to, yeah. um, the confectionery, the the soda fountain, like that's where you went to go like propose marriage, so, right. like, like there was this I- incredibly developed community, and the the one of the ways that it was that it was able to flourish and was able to kind of grow like this is because. The first thing that that Oklahoma did when it became a state, remember it was originally a territory for forced relocation of Native Americans and their African slaves to this area. Um, When it became a state, when uh, white settlers came in and said, no, we want this instead. Mm -hmm. We're going to take this territory we gave you away and turn it into a state. The first piece of legislation they passed was that um, black people have to stay in their own area. They can't marry outside their race. Right. They can't frequent white-owned businesses. They have to stay over here. And so the people of Greenwood say Psh, fine with us. We're going to pass a covenant that says you have to be a black person to own land here or to even rent a place here. Yeah. To own a business here. There's a co- it's a re- covenant restricted community and we're going to take a tremendous amount of pride in in circulating our currency, our hard-earned money that we're making By working for these white businesses that we're not allowed to patronize, we're going to go make our own businesses over here, and we're going to support them with our our community. Not only because we can't spend our money elsewhere, but Mm -hmm. because we have a lot of pride in the businesses that we've built over here. And so in this way, Greenwood flourished – because of and in spite of these Jim Crow-era laws that, that black people had to deal with in, in Oklahoma at the time.
0: Yeah, and this was uh, Dave Roos helped put us to toge- uh, put this together, and uh, some of the research he got was from the book The Burning, colon, Massacre, Destruction, and the Tulsa Race Riot of 1921 by Tim Madigan, mm-hmm. uh, and very astutely points out that this was Uh, This happened in Oklahoma, of course, but this kind of thing was happening all over the country, Um, not just in the South or the whatever you call Oklahoma. I guess it's the West.
1: Midwest? Yeah, but not Midwest. I don't know. (laughs) I think you just call it Oklahoma. It's
0: interesting. Some people there identify with the South, but if you're from Georgia, Oklahoma. It's not the South. Might as well be, you know, Montana.
1: I think of Oklahoma as like Native America.
0: Yeah. Isn't that what it says on the license plate? Maybe. It says. Middle of the country, with a O with a little apostrophe,
1: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and there's a picture of the Mountain Dew logo on.
0: <laughs> but um, this was happening everywhere. There were in 1919, there were two dozen race riots um, in places like Chicago, Washington D.C., St. Louis, uh, and between the end of the Civil War and World War II, there were more than four thousand lynchings in the United States. Right, which is uh, you know it's important to point that out because what and we'll get into the story here but uh, a lynching is what was uh, the aim of the white people of Oklahoma mm-hmm. on this night.
1: Right. But I have seen also one of the reasons why I went to so much um lengths to explain Greenwood yeah. in part was to because to to show what was lost here. But also to show um there's a there are a lot of people who consider this Massacre to have been carried out or fueled in part by envy. Right. Uh, because the people of Greenwood were so much better off in some instances than the white people who were you yeah. know, c- carrying out this massacre.
0: All right. Maybe we should take a break. No. And then we'll come back. Oh, man. We got to start 2020 with an argument <laughs> yeah. over a break. Yeah. <laughs> let's do it. All right. Let's take a break. We'll come back and talk no. a, a little bit about uh, the beginnings of what would end up being the Tulsa Massacre. So, we should talk about uh, the key player here, or players, uh, and in this case, it is Diamond Dick Rowland.
1: One of the greatest names I've ever heard in my life. It's pretty good.
0: Yeah. He was a uh, shoeshine boy uh, in Tulsa, Mm -hmm. and by all accounts, he was uh, smart, and he was a handsome young guy, Mm -hmm. and he was... Uh, sort of a a man about town. He was popular with the ladies.
1: Had the world on a string.
0: Yeah, pretty much. And uh, there was a girl named Sarah Page who ran an elevator at the Drexel building, uh, a building that I have walked past with my own two feet. Oh, wow. (laughs) Right? (laughs) And she was white. She was white. And... uh, you know, Dick thought she was cute and he would go down there and basically kind of make up excuses to ride her elevator.
1: Okay, I saw something different than that. Oh yeah? Mhm. I saw that he was on the elevator because he was he could use the um segregated bathroom on the top floor of the Drexel building only. So he had to ride up the elevator up and down. Okay. To, to get to the bathroom, the closest bathroom for him to be able to use. That's what I saw.
0: So you're saying he didn't fancy Sarah Page I at all? I don't know. I okay. don't
1: know. But I also saw a different explanation for why he would have been on the elevator right. as often as he supposedly was. All right. Maybe it was both. Yeah. Maybe he went to the bathroom a little more often than he had to because he did <laughs> think Sarah Page was cute. Who knows? I'm not saying they necessarily contradict each other. I'm just sure. saying I've seen other explanations as well. I got you. That, that, that sounded very lawyerly for some reason, <laughs> didn't it? Man, maybe this is uh, the new you in 2020. Matlock?
0: (laughs) Josh Clark Esquire.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Esprit. That's different than Esquire.
0: So uh, at any rate, we should probably also point out that, um, and you know, uh, mixed race couples still get sideways looks in some parts of America today. Uh But certainly in 1921 in Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, the idea of a black man Uh, Fancying a white woman was...
1: Even looking at a white woman.
0: Yeah, it was not only um, untoward, but like a threat worthy of a lynching. Right. It was still that time in America where um, if you made any advances, that was sort of the biggest fear for some white men, Mm -hmm. was black men coming in and taking, quote unquote, their women.
1: Yeah, um, which was characterized or popularized thanks to Birth of a Nation, mm-hmm. which depicts the Klan, you know, coming to the aid of white women who were about to be raped by maniacal black men who just couldn't, couldn't help themselves. They were just so uh, in love with white women that they, they just had to rape. That was just what black guys did. That was the view of black guys at the time, yeah. right, that that's just how it was. So to white people, um, you, like, you, you kept an eye out for that. Like when you saw a black man and there's a white woman over there, you wanted to make sure that he wasn't going to, you know, rape her. Yeah. That was the mentality that people were walking around with back then.
0: Yeah. That movie was actually partially shot in my old neighborhood in L.A.
1: You have a lot to do with this episode.
0: <laughs> well, it's just weird to think about Birth of a Nation, uh, you know, being shot in Los Feliz, mm-hmm. which is this very, like, kind of hip community and mm. on the east side of Hollywood. Sure. Uh, but anyway— on May uh, 30th, 1921, mm-hmm. uh, Dick Rowland went into that elevator to either flirt or use the restroom or both. Yeah. And what I saw was that the it was well known that the third floor um, landing did not land flush with the threshold. And uh, supposedly this is why, as the story goes, Dick Rowland tripped when he was getting onto the elevator. Yeah. So maybe if that bathroom was on the third floor... That could make sense.
1: I heard top floor. I don't know how many floors the. Ducks I don't ducks remember been. actually. <laughs> you, is it more than three? I don't know. Right. I don't remember actually. I just. I, I don't would, think they call a building the something building if it only has three floors. You know what I mean? You're probably right. That's like an eight plus floor, like m- moniker. I think you're probably right. Okay.
0: But at any rate, uh, he gets on the elevator. As the story goes, uh, stumbles getting on. And kind of falls forward and grabs her arm, Mm -hmm. uh, which was kind of the first thing that he could get a hold of to keep from falling. Uh, As the story goes, she started beating him over the head with her purse because, I guess, it's an old uh, Looney Tunes cartoon. (laughs) And she didn't have a rolling pin. And uh, the elevator opened on the ground floor. Uh, People see this sort of scuffle going on or what appears to be a scuffle. Mm -hmm. Uh, She allegedly cries out that she had been assaulted. And people on the first floor call the police as Dick flees on foot. Right, Just takes off. Yeah, and, you know, no one knows exactly how this all went down.
1: No one even knows exactly who Diamond Dick Rowland was. Or Sarah
0: Page. Yeah. For that matter. Isn't that bizarre? Yeah, all we found out was that she was an orphan. Uh, She could have been as young as 16. I've seen reports of 17 and was working to pay her way through business college. And uh, That's what
1: the— Tulsa Tribune reported like the day after.
0: Yeah, and I saw that elsewhere, but I also saw like literally nothing else about her. Yeah. I couldn't then, find anything.
1: And then Dick Roland, they think that he might have possibly been named Jimmy Jones.
0: Right, I saw that too.
1: And who was raised um, by his grandparents, whose last name was Roland, so he took their name. And there is a guy who would have matched his birth date. Mm hmm named Jimmy Jones that they found buried in, in Tulsa, but he died, like, two months before these events took place, so it couldn't have possibly been him.
0: Yeah, and they were a few years apart, too, I think, right? Oh, was it? Yeah. Okay. But it's, it's unbelievable that so much of this is lost to history. Yeah,
1: these two people... Who yeah. set the, off this one of the one of the most despicable events that has ever taken place in this country's history? Just vanish almost after this point. It's just you. You guys played your role now. Yeah. Everyone else is going to step in.
0: So Dick goes home. Um, his mom. He I guess he tells his mom what happened, and she obviously was pretty scared right away because yeah. she knew probably what this meant. But for that night at least, nothing really happened. Um, the next day. He goes out to meet up with some friends, and the Tulsa police pull up and uh, take him in, basically, on an assault charge.
1: Right, which is, I don't know why they didn't go pick him up at home or whatever, but they, I also read somewhere that they had arrested him on the spot. But the what you're, you're recounting matches what I've seen most elsewhere, right? right? yeah. But that's that's history, especially suppressed history, right? One person writes, it and then somebody else reports, it and then yeah, enough people report it, and then that's fact. Exactly, that's the story. Um, but so either way, he came into police custody. We know that is the way it, it is. And then this is like a white sheriff named uh, William Sullivan, I think, right?
0: Uh, William McCullough.
1: McCullough, I was very close.
0: Yeah, when you're starting to read the story, you hear about this, you know, white mustache sheriff. Mm-hmm. And immediately think, oh boy, right. this guy's in trouble.
1: Well, this guy had replaced the last guy that he was trouble. Of, right. Yeah. Who had allowed um, a, a white mob to to take uh, an arrested black man out of his custody and, and lynch him.
0: Oh, it says here it was a white uh, person. Is that not true?
1: Uh, I think that's wrong. Oh, okay. Either way, he let somebody sure. be lynched by an angry mob.
0: Yeah, which I thought for sure Sheriff McCullough was going to do. But apparently McCullough was intent on kind of. Going by the book.
1: He followed the hectate School of sheriffing. <laughs> How do you know what that from, means? Uh, from uh, To Kill a Mockingbird.
0: Oh, right, right. Mm-hmm. Which was, hey, let's let the law play out. Let's give him a stay in court. Mm-hmm. There will be no lynchings on my watch.
1: Right. So he took, um, he took Diamond Dick up to a room on an upper floor. And the only way to get there was this one staircase. So Mm -hmm. he basically strategically hit him out, went down to this white crowd and said, there's not going to be any lynching today, like Chuck said. The thing is, we've left out a really important point here.
0: Yeah, like why was there a white crowd to begin with? Right. Yeah.
1: There is a newspaper that was called the Tulsa Tribune that um, ran an article about Sarah Page being assaulted. Mm -hmm. This is a news article, and the headline for said news article was nabbed Negro for attacking girl in elevator. Not people might nab Negro for attacking girl in elevator. Police worried white mob might nab. It's nab, like go do this. Yes, That was the headline for the article. The editorial took it even a a step further. And this is the day after this event took place.
0: Yeah, the editorial was to lynch Negro tonight... And I got to say, whoever's writing these headlines, it's inflammatory, of course, but they also don't make much sense.
1: Uh, yeah, they're of poor construction.
0: <laughs> they're of very poor construction. And I went to try and find the, the microfilm of this, and um, I think the first one is available but blurry. The second one, the only copy of that paper they have is a uh, front page with an article cut out <laughs> that's scanned in. And everyone's like, it must. This must have been that editorial. Sure. But I, I literally couldn't find any. You know, because I was kind of curious to read just how poor of a writer this person was, right? And get you know probably what would not have been accurate details.
1: No, no. So no, they. I mean, they basically um, reported in the first one in the actual article um, that. Her her her, to- her clothes have been torn at.
0: Yeah, not they true. they
1: really characterize it like he attacked her,
0: like a sexual assault.
1: Right, exactly. Um, and then the second one is just basically like an all-out editorial calling for Dick Rowland's lynching. Yeah, this is in the paper. So the the local newspaper has inflamed the um, the white citizenry into basically calling them to action to go do something about this, and they all show up at the courthouse um, to to demand that sheriff mccullough hand over dick Rowland to them so they can go lynch him and he says yeah no back off no but so before but i think he tells him like no i'm not i'm not doing that like you said Mm -hmm. but um before the crowd disperses a second group comes and it's actually a group of world war one veterans from greenwood who had found out that 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 this white mob was going to lynch Dick Rowland, and they were like, no, no, they're not. We're going to go see to it. That doesn't happen.
0: Yeah, I mean, there were hundreds of uh, WWI veterans, black veterans in Greenwood. Mm -hmm. Um, They were people who fought for this country, and it's sort of that familiar, despicable story. Shed blood on European soil, come back home to America, and you're still a second-class citizen. Uh, They had petitioned to... Uh, and this is just sort of a sidebar. They had petitioned to uh, walk in the Memorial Day parade uh, for many years and were always refused. And May 30th was Memorial Day, and that that same year, they had once again said, can we participate in the Memorial Day parade as veterans? Mm-hmm. And they say, no, we're only going to honor the white veterans.
1: No, I think they, they wanted to be integrated in the parade with the white veterans just as World War One veterans marching together. And they said, no, whites only, you can march by yourselves. Oh, really? And when they did march, they were taunted and jeered at. Oh, gotcha. By the people who were watching the parade.
0: So these are the people that got guns and came down there and said, not on our watch. Mm-hmm. We're not going to let this happen. Uh, and it kind of plays out as a film, you know, from the sounds of it is like these cars pull in and part the crowd and uh, these black veterans get out with their guns and they're like, no, you're not taking this This kid. This is not going to happen.
1: Right. So um, apparently Sheriff McCullough uh, was able to, to convince the Greenwood uh, World War One veterans who'd showed up, that he wasn't going to hand over Dick Rowland that he's going to protect Dick Rowland and they should probably just go, he's going to get rid of this white crowd too, but don't worry, I'm, I'm not like the old sheriff. Yeah. And- um, There's about
0: 75 armed men. Yeah, and just I- Just to I, drive it home, like how many people?
1: I read that there were, I saw thousands somewhere- Of white people. Of white people yeah. at the courthouse. Like it was just this- Calling for a lynching.
0: Yeah, it was. It was. They were heavily outmanned.
1: Yeah. Um. And, but in but seventy five, these seventy five black veterans showed up in the midst of this. Let's even say it's just a thousand. Let's even say it's like five hundred people calling for a lynching. Yeah. And you're seventy five black men showing up armed, saying like, no, it's not happening. It's just it's pretty courageous stuff, right? Yeah. So before before they can leave, or as they're leaving, it's actually not clear what what this. Uh, event's name gets its name from happens uh, what you would call a race riot
0: yeah i mean it it looked like it might have been on the way to being a uh, a scene that the sheriff managed successfully mm-hmm. they m- might have been on the way out that white crowd might have dispersed if not for this one incident
1: and even even if we did know you know, just beat by beat, the history of this. You still wouldn't be able to say sure. what would have happened. Yeah, but exactly. That is a possible outcome. There was a there was a um, an older white man who demanded that one of these um, black veterans give him his gun, and the black veteran said, "No, I'm not going to do that." And the old white man went to go grab it, and the gun went off, and both sides just started shooting at one another.
0: Yeah, that's what triggered it. Uh, it was uh, chaos. There was a hail of bullets. Uh, people of on both sides just started, you know, dropping dead from uh, from the bullets flying, and it became a full on war scene, basically, for the next couple of days.
1: Right. Okay. So at that point, um, the the black veterans are like, "We really should get out of here." Yeah. They leave toward the, Greenwood. Toward Greenwood, yeah. which is their home. They're going back to their homes. Um, and along the way, some of them like kind of drop back and like stake out positions, yeah, and start sniping at the um, the white rioters who are coming after mm-hmm. them. And at that point, um, they they go further back into Greenwood. And by this time, it's like the early morning hours of, I believe, June first, right? Uh,
0: I don't think it was the early morning at that
1: point. it was like midnight. I mean. Like midnight one, something like that. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's during the nighttime, and this is when the white people started breaking into the hardware stores and looting businesses to get weapons.
1: Yeah, because here's the thing. So that Sheriff McCullough, who you're kind of like, oh, okay, as far as like this whole story goes, that's not so bad. Like he, he at least tried. Now, the moment this race riot happened, and the um, black veterans took off back for Greenwood, mm-hmm. he started deputizing white rioters, yeah. handing out guns in ammunition, and basically saying, go get them. Go get those guys. Yeah. And rather than saying, like, this is not your job, this is my responsibility, y'all go home, I'm going to go handle this, he enlisted the help of these people who were involved in this riot on the white side. Yeah. And at that point, any semblance of what you would call a race riot ended, and what became a a, um, revenge massacre uh, just started. So, So, People call this the Tulsa Race Riot, and I think maybe a tenth of it qualifies as a race riot, and the rest, it just should be called the Tulsa Massacre.
0: Yeah, so what happens is, like you said, some of these veterans get uh, staked out in strategic positions um, uh, on rooftops and behind houses, behind cars. Uh, the the white uh, army, for lack of a better word, is advancing into Greenwood. Mm-hmm. They start setting fires uh, at these strategic locations to flush out these snipers. And then they just start burning everything, basically. Right. Uh, setting fire to every house and every business to burn down
1: Greenwood. Well, I think also about for about the five or f- about four or five hours from the time where they managed to flush the snipers out until about five in the morning, they were quietly taking up positions inside Greenwood. And then a whistle blew at about 5 a.m., mm-hmm. and all of them just came out from their positions, and then they just went berserk It was on, a charge, a full-on, Green- yeah. like, military a charge. A coordinated assault yeah. on Greenwood. And so this assault involved driving people out of their homes at gunpoint. Mm-hmm. Any resistance, that people were shot on sight. Yep. Apparently, there were people who were shot who weren't offering resistance. Um, there was a story about an elderly couple who were kneeling in their house praying, and they were both executed by these white people mobsters. yeah, um, in people, their homes, people
0: were burned alive. Yeah, uh, houses and people doused with kerosene and burned alive. Right, uh, there was another story of a a blind uh, beggar who was tied to a car and dragged through the streets. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was it was just bedlam. And uh, Watchmen actually gets pretty graphic in how they depict this, even though it's an alternate history show, mm-hmm. just like the movie and the in the graphic novel. Were they? I think they did. Pretty decent justice. They didn't follow the origin story of how it started, but uh, it just plays heavily into the plot line. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Should we take another break? Sure. All right. Let's take another break, and uh, we'll tell you what happened from here.
1: Okay, so uh, we actually took a commercial break in the midst of a massacre. So the, the the thing is, like, people are being driven out of their houses and shot in some cases. Mm. But more often than not, they're being, like, just flushed out. But no house, no building, no business, no nothing was spared. They're in, the intent of these, um, these wh- white terrorists, there's really no other name for them, was to burn down Greenwood. Yeah, and the they,
0: firefighters were kept at bay.
1: Yeah, they said do not come in here. Yeah. Like the the, the 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 rioters will kill you. Yeah. Do just stay away. They burned Greenwood to the ground. 35 blocks. 35 blocks. Do you know how many blocks that is? That's a lot of blocks. Think about how many blocks is 35 blocks and then add like 10 because I guarantee your conception is less than actually 35 blocks. That is a lot of blocks of buildings burned to the ground. People killed in their front yards, including uh, Dr. Andrew C. Jackson, the Mm -hmm. the famous surgeon, shot like a dog in his own front yard in the chest. There's a picture of him.
0: 1,200 homes, uh, churches, schools hospital, library. Uh, I think I mentioned there were 600 businesses total. Mm -hmm. Right. They were all torched.
1: Just torched. There were six people who owned airplanes. They were that wealthy in Greenwood. Yeah. Their airplanes were stolen by the rioters and used to drop bombs, dynamite, nitroglycerin, fire. And then there was also accusations that the National Guard was helping coordinate this too.
0: Yeah, the National Guard was called in uh, and when they got there by all accounts, they did not try to help quell the riot, they more acted as uh, helping to arrest black men. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's
1: just historical fact.
0: Oh, yeah. They were they were bringing in—I mean, they were killing people for sure, but they were also arresting black men. The women and children uh, fled. Uh, I think 6,000 people were arrested, and the women and children fled toward the woods, basically, right? like leaving behind everything they owned.
1: Who were homeless. There was, there was 10,000 people— who lived in Greenwood at the time. And after this one night, this orgy of like violence, there, there, um, there were like 9,000 left homeless and hundreds dead.
0: Yeah. And apparently back to the uh, National Guard, they said that they brought in planes just to spot fires and coordinate ground security. Mm-hmm. But there are reports from people there uh, that said that, no, they were actually shooting uh, at people right. on the ground.
1: Say that that's a rumor. Yeah. Even setting that aside, the National Guard didn't come in and quell anything. They just started arresting and detaining the victims of this massacre. That was the role that they played in this in this situation.
0: That's right. So uh, the whole thing culminates with, um, I mean, in the end, it's really hard to get the amount of people killed. I think the official report says 35 black people it, it's certainly way more than that. Mm-hmm. I've seen all the way up to three hundred.
1: That's that's what I saw. Is almost across the board is three hundred. Yeah, yeah. It,
0: that again might be one of those things that everyone just sort of settled on a on a number. Mm-hmm. But it was not thirty five people, to be no, sure.
1: No, definitely not. And so, like as the the sun comes up the day after, I think June first, um, greenwoods burn to the ground. There's people hiding in the woods, thousands and thousands of former affluent. Residents of this black community, homeless, are now homeless. Well, yeah. no, they're not homeless because the National Guard has very kindly put them in detention centers at the fairgrounds.
0: Uh, that doesn't qualify as a home,
1: right? That's my point. Yeah, is that it's not a home. Yeah, right. They're kept detained at the fairgrounds for months. I saw that in some cases, most of them had to um, endure the winter. This happened in May. Yeah. These people were still, a lot of them, kept in detention camps at the fairgrounds through the winter.
0: Yeah, Tulsa winters and summers are both tough.
1: They were kept in detention camps because white rioters burned their town to the ground.
0: Yeah, and this was in June, so
1: R- right. do so, the math. Right. So, um, yeah, it was June. I guess it was the end of May. So— um the way that you got out of these detention centers was your white employer came and vouched for you and said, this person works for me. I need him back. Yeah. Please let him go. That's how you got out.
0: Yeah. So uh, in the aftermath, no one was arrested. There were no prosecutions.
1: No, no. I'm sorry, Chuck. There was a grand jury that was sat mm-hmm. or convened. They indicted 20 people. All of them were black.
0: Well none were white. Yeah, that's I meant on the white side. Okay. Uh there were in today's dollars between fifty and a hundred million dollars worth of damage. Um everywhere I looked said the only organization that really helped and they really helped was the American Red Cross. Yeah. Uh super brave and did a whole lot. And I also saw where um, you know, it wasn't the entire city of Tulsa. Apparently there were Some white communities that reached out in the aftermath. Of course. To help with the recovery efforts, to take people in. Yeah. Um, So we don't want to paint the entire town uh, as doing the wrong thing. Apparently, some people did step up.
1: Sure. I mean, just nothing is that literally black and white. Yeah. You know, like there's always shades of gray in that situation, in any situation.
0: Yeah, but Greenwood uh, came back. They, it's, Probably not a surprise, but uh, the insurance companies had it classified very quickly as a riot instead of just a violent massacre, mm-hmm. because that means they wouldn't have to compensate people for their homes being and businesses being burned to the ground.
1: Right, because if they were rioting, then they were culpable for that damage, and exactly. the insurance company just have to despicable. Pay it yeah, so also despicable. The county commission said, no, we're not accepting any outside donations. We'll take care of our own. And then didn't, didn't follow through on that at all. So there were no funds paid to the Greenwood people. And as, people
0: were trying to.
1: At, right, yeah. as reparations or to even help them rebuild. Um, and the county commission, I guess, proposed at one point that they would handle this by buying the land for like a fraction of its market value and then auctioning it off to yeah. the highest bidder. That was one proposal. Settled That old scam. And and they also said, well, you know what? Just to make sure that this doesn't happen again, we're going to establish a new building code for Greenwood. No building can be rebuilt unless it's built with fireproof bricks. And then they went to the fireproof brick producers and said, do not sell any materials to the black people of Greenwood. So despite this, they managed to rebuild in about five years. Astoundingly, the people whose houses in town was burned to the ground came back and rebuilt and from just about everything I read, Greenwood was actually better, more prosperous, and more affluent from the the second time around yeah. than it was even the first. And it was pretty affluent the first time. And Chuck, we said like hundreds of people were were killed, right? Yes. So get this. Funerals were forbidden. Like you weren't allowed to have a funeral. That's how 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 covered up this thing became. Yeah. And one of the reasons we'll never know how many people were killed is because the the people who were killed were taken off and dumped in the river or stashed in coal mines or buried in mass unmarked graves.
0: Well, they think they found two of those uh, like a month ago. Yeah. Uh, there were archaeologists in Tulsa, and this was from Time Magazine from Jasmine Aguilera. Uh, they have identified two sites that they thought were—that they think now are mass graves— And they've been looking since uh, I think 2001 because they knew people, you know, there were reports of mass graves. And so archaeologists have been looking. And in 2018, um, they started like a legit investigation. uh, And they think that they have found one, at least one, maybe two of these sites. But even like. Which is in a cemetery, ironically.
1: Yeah, I saw that. But even this whole thing is like fairly new. It wasn't like. Until the late 90s that people even started talking about this, right?
0: Yeah, 1997 was when the state of Oklahoma introduced a bill. And this was after just not talking about it. No. In the black community, they would talk about it in stories and whispers. Uh, The white community just buried it. And the state of Oklahoma just didn't acknowledge it.
1: Yeah, the last thing I saw about it was the Tulsa Tribune ran another editorial on like June fourth, a few days after, basically saying like lynching failed. Thank you. No, they said thank you to the police and all the white citizens who cleaned up Tulsa by getting rid of Greenwood. <laughs> it was. It's actually way worse than what I just depicted, but I couldn't possibly bring myself to to read it verbatim. Yeah, it's just vile. Yeah, what it says, it's really bad.
0: Uh, But in 97 Mm -hmm. is when they introduced a bill for uh, reparations and creation of the Tulsa Race Riot Commission, and that report was released in 2001, and it did hold police and public officials to blame, um, but it didn't do anything, basically. There were no reparations. Uh, As for Dick Rowland, the case was—the actual case, remember the case Mm -hmm. of the assault? Mm -hmm. That was dismissed in September, uh, apparently, Sarah Page didn't want to press forward with charges, mm-hmm. and she's lost the time. He supposedly immediately moved to Kansas City, maybe, and no one else really knows anything else about him.
1: Huh. That's just so surprising. Yeah. You know?
0: And if not for the Watchmen coming out, this might still be a fairly buried story outside of Oklahoma. Yeah, right. It's really brought a lot of attention to it. Yeah, and
1: good for them for doing that. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that I saw about Greenwood itself was that it kept, prospering and flourishing for decades after this until about the 60s. And um, one of the reasons I saw that explained why not just Greenwood, but a lot of black areas started to decline in the 60s Mm -hmm. was a byproduct of integration was that you could, as a black person in America, spend your black dollar at a white-owned business now. And like, they don't they didn't teach us that in public school. like yeah. that this was a byproduct of it. But as a result, these these um, black owned businesses started to decline more and more and more. Um, and so Greenwood wasn't as prosperous as it was before, but the death blow. The death blow is that, remember in our interstates episode, where mm-hmm. in a lot of the um, poorer areas, a lot of the um, areas of color, that that's where they built the oh, highways. I saw that. They built actually. I-244 yep. right through Greenwood.
0: Yeah. Tulsa's an interesting place. I spent a few weeks there yeah. a few years ago. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's interesting because it's got this old oil money. Yeah. Neighborhoods. Yeah. Some of the most like amazing estates and houses I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. It's got some very poor communities, uh, a lot of meth problems. Yeah. Uh, it's an interesting place. Sounds like it. Yeah.
1: Well, that's uh, Tulsa for you.
0: And you know what? I spent a few weeks there in this neighborhood, and I didn't know anything about it. I didn't—maybe there is a memorial or something, but I didn't notice it. I'm not saying there isn't one, but I didn't see it.
1: So you know um, uh, Desmond Tutu? Sure. Who helped bring about um, just this, the changeover from apartheid to reconciliation? Yeah. I love his work. He came—yeah, <laughs> big fan. <laughs> he came to uh, to— Tulsa, basically said, you guys are sitting on a powder keg here. Like, When was this? uh, Not very long ago. I think Uh, maybe in the 90s. uh, Maybe even in the 2000s. Just basically saying, like, you can't, how could you possibly heal when you still have bodies in unmarked graves? And, like, no one's talking about this still. I believe there is a park that they found, like a reconciliation park or something like that, but it sounds like there's still a ways to go. Yeah. Uh, Wouldn't it be ironic that it was Watchmen that basically is forcing this issue to be discussed? It would be pretty ironic. Yeah. The power
0: Uh, of comic books. Right. Well, not even TV, I guess. Of graphic
1: novels. Yes. So uh, if you want to know more about the Tulsa Massacre, also known as the Tulsa Race Riot of 1921, there's a lot for you to go read, thankfully, and you should. Uh, Just type that into your favorite search bar. Since I said that, it's time for listener mail.
0: Uh, hey guys, this email is mostly for Chuck. I need to get something off my chest and clear some things up about my involvement with your pronunciation of Carrie Elwise Elvis Elvis. Sometime over the summer, I made a comment in the corrections corner thread of Movie Crush uh, on the Facebook page where you were pronouncing Carrie Elwise Elwise. I posted I had read on a Reddit AMA his name sounds like Elvis, but what I meant to say was it rhymes with Elvis.
1: Is that why you said Carrie Elvis? Like on the yeah,
0: it's because of Eli. Uh, way so to he, go, Eli. <laughs> he says this. When I finally heard my name pop up in the podcast, I was thrilled and couldn't wait to hear your reaction. Not only did my comment get understandably misunderstood, but I've heard you reference the comment two or three times now, and continue to correct yourself, saying Elvis. Most recently on the Andre the Giant live episode. P- parenthetical: Josh said it right. Uh, I tried to issue another. I tried to issue another comment immediately afterward to clear the air but it was too late you discontinued corrections corner i did i was gonna do that on movie crush and it just became like you said this wrong and in your inflection and i was like
1: you said kubrick was great he was very great
0: yeah i was a minute as like movie corrections but you know how it goes mm-hmm. so i just said no more of this um you don't understand how something like this uh something as small has been tearing me apart inside Every time I hear you reference it, there's one thing worse than giving someone bad information. It's having them proliferate that information out in the world. <laughs> in this case, to millions of, well, not millions of people. Trillions. I, <laughs> I just want to apologize officially for correcting you on something so silly. In any way you want to say the name is fine by me, as long as it's, what do you say?
1: Elwes. Elvis.
0: Elwes? I think Elwes. Uh, thanks for the decade. I don't know
1: now. <laughs> Eli's gotten in my head, too.
0: Thanks for the decade of great content. I'll see you both in January in Seattle for my third live show.
1: Nice. All the best, Eli. It's Eli's third live show birthday. And I think it's pronounced Eli. (laughs) Oh, it could be Ellie. Could be. Uh, Yeah, we're just going to go with Eli though, okay? I think Ellie's E-L-L-I-E. It could be. I think Ellie Golding is something different than that, isn't it? Mm, I don't know. Who is that? Or does she pronounce her name Eli? I don't know who that is. You do too. You've heard her pop songs before when you're working out. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Uh, If you want to get in touch with us, like eli did uh to let us know we're saying something wrong because of you well you can get in touch with us by going on to know.com and you can also send us an email send it off to stuffpodcasts at iheartradio.com
0: stuff you Should Know is a production of iheartradio's how stuff works for more podcasts from iheartradio visit the iheartradio app apple podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite shows